Welcome back to your therapy tools. I am so happy that you're here. So you've ta- you've heard me talk about reframing and being kind to yourself and forgiving others and wishing them loving kindness. You may be thinking, okay, yeah, so if I'm feeling negative about something, I have to lie and say I'm positive. Or if I don't like somebody, I have to be fake and be nice to them. Um, that is not the case. And I know it's really difficult when you have this ingrained go-to negative loop of thinking. It's hard to change your thinking. And if you're extremely judgmental of others and criticizing other people all the time, it's, it's a habit that's very hard to break. But why should you reframe and why should you be kind? I have pulled up some scientific information. You know, in, in, in our world today, we're hearing a lot of uh, trust the science, trust the science. So I hope today you will trust this science and maybe it'll give you a better understanding of why I'm asking you to reframe negative thoughts and to let go of resentment and offer loving kindness and forgiveness to others and to yourself. So let's get started by talking about Dr. Masaru Emoto. He conducted extensive studies on how our thoughts and intentions alter and shape the structure of water crystals. In a double-blind study, a group of about 2,000 people in Tokyo focused their positive intentions and thoughts and words toward water samples inside of a room located in California that was electromagnetically shielded. Okay? He also set aside another group of samples in another location. However, he did not make the group aware of that fact. So an analyst identified and photographed the ice crystals from both sets of samples. Then 100 judges blindly assessed and critiqued the images for aesthetic appeal. And this is what they found. The crystals from the treated water the water that was given positive thoughts, intentions, and words, um, they were given a higher score, which is consistent with prior studies measuring the impact of intention on water. So based on your own consciousness, a person can directly alter the geometric shape and structure of water. That's because both our thoughts and water derive from the same energy source. For a number of years, Dr. Masaru Emoto researched and performed many studies on how our intentions can alter the structure and energy of liquid. Ever since learning about microcluster water in the U.S. and magnetic resonance analysis technology, he vowed to uncover more about our impact on the water that we drink. So for years, Dr. Emoto would freeze droplets of liquid and examine the molecular changes in the water caused by thoughts and intentions. He then photographs the frozen water crystals in order to visually document the changes. So he wrote words like thank you on a bottle of water. And the crystals from that bottle of water, the sample, had a very striking similar shape and composition to the crystals that had been exposed to 
the classical uh, musician Bach, his, his song Goldberg Variations. This represents gratefulness for the man it was composed for. And as you can see, this example, giving thanks to our water, our land, and our earth, can transform the very particles that make them up and provide us with more healing and good energy. So think about the people that pray over their food. They pray over anything they eat or drink. It actually raises the vibration of the nutritional value of the healing benefits and you're ingesting something that is really blessed. Interesting, right? So think about this. When these water samples were labeled with negative words and exposed to heavy metal music, oh, I am a metalhead at heart. I am. I don't listen to it as much as I used to, but I was a little headbanger when I was in high school. Um, that makes me sad that it's considered so negative. But they exposed it to heavy metal music instead of Bach. Um, they spoke to it negatively. They said things to it such as Adolf Hitler and I hate you and you're an embarrassment. Um, and no water crystals formed and the structure of it became very chaotic and fragmented. So very interesting, right? Um, Dr. Emoto did pretty extensive studies on this. So when they were positive towards the water and loving and accepting, the water formed these beautiful ice crystals that resembled like gorgeous, gorgeous snowflakes. When they were negative to it and they played heavy metal for it and told it it was stupid and they hated it, it formed these chaotic, jacked-up-looking crystals that just had no pattern, rhyme, or rhythm. So Dr. Emoto found samples taken from clear mountain springs and streams had beautiful crystalline structure, but the water crystals observed at polluted or stagnant sources were deformed and chaotic. They were negative. This example doesn't have to do directly with the words we speak or the conscious intentions that we have. Instead, this particular study showed that negativity stems from destruction and we cause pollution that wreaks havoc on our most precious resource. However, when we take care of our earth and let it exist naturally, our water remains beautiful, fresh, and unadulterated. So your tap water is going to have the chaotic crystals. Pure mountain spring water is going to have those beautiful snowflake forms with the patterns. This ex these, these examples gained exposure to Dr. Emoto's groundbreaking work. So we have the power to alter our physical world with our thoughts and intentions. Water is life. Now, how much of the human body is made up of water? That's my next point. Do you know the answer to that? How much of our bodies are made up of water? Now, in my research looking around, I see that the human body is around 60% water and around 71% of the planet's surface is also covered by water. So water means drinking enough each day 
It's not at the top of a lot of people's list of priorities. We are 60% water and our blood is 90% water. So that being said, Dr. Emoto's study, we can, we can definitely um, make an, an, an assumption that if we are saying unkind things to ourselves and others, we're forming the unhealthy, chaotic, nasty water crystals in ourselves and others, right? And if we're kind and forgiving and we wish love and healing and gratitude, we, we send out that gratitude, we're going to form those gorgeous, healthy, beautifully patterned water crystals in ourselves and others. Just a thought. 60% water and the blood is 90% water. Okay, moving forward. Does talking to plants help them to grow? So, plants have a, an electromagnetic energy around them, right? If you look that up, you'll see that any living thing, and even crystals and rocks, have an electromagnetic field around them, okay? So when you're talking to plants, uh, you're, you're exhaling the carbon dioxide. They're, they're exhaling um, oxygen. So we're feeding each other air that's vital. And you think about bees, okay? Bees are outside. They're buzzing around. When they buzz up to a plant, the plant is excited because it's going to have the pollen transferred and the bees take care of the plants. Um, when you cut a plant, it's scientifically proven, the plant feels it. Isn't that crazy? The plant can feel it. The plants have nerve endings just like we do. They're... Their, gene, their genes, their DNA, um, their veins, they're very similar to us. And in fact, there's a study that says humans may have evolved with plant genes, which is fascinating, right? And plants require water to grow. So again, are we going to have dead water or live, beautiful water to feed the plants? And when you talk to the plants... The vibration of your voice helps them to grow better and faster and more healthy. So talking to your plants is a thing, and it, it's scientifically proven. So when we're kind and loving and talking to our plants, they do well. If we don't water them, we ignore them, and we don't talk to them, they don't do as well, and they could even die. So... Here's a study um, that came out, um, published in the UK News on March 15th, or March 13th of 2015. Humans may have evolved with the genes of plants, fungi, and microorganisms according to a consensus-challenging Cambridge University study. The study into the literal roots of mankind builds on, and to some extent confirms, the findings of a 2001 investigation into whether or not humans could have acquired DNA from plants. It was heavily criticized at the time for being too weedy. <laughs> I'm sure that pun was intended. I found that funny. 
Okay. It is now accepted in some quarters that up to 1% of our genome could have originated in plants by way of horizontal genetic transfer, or HGT, a complex process in which particular bacteria transfer information about DNA. The research suggests that humans, like certain other species, carried the DNA of organisms which lived in their surrounding environment rather than obtaining it through the much more linear process of breeding and descent. In a statement on the University of Cambridge website, Dr. Alistair Crisp, leader author of the project undertaken by the Department of Chemical Engineering and Biotechnology, said, This is the first study to show how widely horizontal gene transfer occurs in animals, including humans, giving rise to tens of thousands of active foreign genes, plant DNA. Surprisingly far from being a rare occurrence, it appears that this has contributed to the evolution of many, perhaps all, animals and that the progress is ongoing. We may need to reevaluate how we think about evolution. So we have plant DNA in us. Isn't that amazing? So, quick recap. When you are positive and you pray over your food and water or you meditate over it with good intentions or even write the word I love you on a bottle of water, you are infusing it and blessing it and making it alive, a live source of healthy sustenance for yourself. Your body is made up of 60% water. Your blood is 90% water. And we have plant DNA in us. And when you're kind to plants, they grow better. All right. So now let's jump over to humans as biological species exist in symbiotic relation with some portion of the whole of plants and animals, which we call agricultural or domesticated. Our welfare as a biological species directly depends upon the extent to which we provide for the welfare of our symbionts, the agriculture, plants, and animals. Agriculture in a broad sense involves a symbiotic relationship between humans, plants, and animals. Humans, plants, fertilize, control weeds and pests, and protect crops. Humans also nurture, feed, and protect the livestock. So what I'm getting at is we have this connection with nature, and we are a part of nature. And how often do we forget that? How often do we not live by that? How often are we stuck watching reality shows or dealing with an asshole boss or criticizing somebody or being criticized by somebody and we just lose touch with what we are and we lose touch with nature? And in that process, we develop patterns and habits of negative automatic thinking. This is why it's so important to reframe your thoughts. Let me, let me go on here and give you some more science behind that. Okay. Let's talk about the brain and the neuroplasticity. So it is scientifically proven that we can rewire our brains by taking on different thought patterns. Neuroplasticity refers to your brain's ability to restructure and rewire itself 
when it recognizes the need for adaption. In other words, if if you continue developing and changing throughout life, you are rewiring your brain. If you learn a new language, you're rewiring your brain. If you change your negative thinking patterns, you are rewiring your brain. Here's an example they give. This is from Healthline. If brain trauma after a car accident affects your ability to speak, you have not necessarily lost this ability permanently. Therapy and rehabilitation can help your brain relearn this ability by repairing old pathways or creating new neural pathways. Neuroplasticity also seems to have promise as a driver of potential treatment for certain mental health conditions. The negative thought patterns that occur with depression, for example, could result from interrupted or impaired neuroplasticity processes. Exercises that promote positive neuroplasticity then help to rewire these patterns to improve your overall well-being. Rewiring your brain might sound pretty complicated, but it is absolutely something you can do. Just like practicing mindfulness. So finding a therapist is all, you know, that's essential. You've got to learn the tools from a therapist. Um, And they suggest playing video games. Um, Playing video games can improve motor coordination, visual recognition, recognition, geez, and spatial navigation, memory, reaction time, reasoning, decision-making, problem-solving, resilience, cooperation, and team participation. So when you play video games, you're teaching your brain new skills. Learn to recover from failure in a game that can help you get better at bouncing back and setbacks in life. Exploring different solutions to a task in a game helps to enhance creative thinking. Different games give different benefits. For example, um, in a three in a 2019 review, they said that 3D adventure games contribute to improved memory, problem solving, and scene recognition. Puzzles help to boost problem solving, brain connectivity, and spatial prediction. Rhythm gaming, like dancing or exercise videos, improves visual, spatial memory, and attention. These effects appear to kick in about six, after about 16 hours of gameplay. doesn't mean you have to play for 16 hours at once. You can actually break it up into smaller chunks. But adding a few hours of weekly gameplay to your leisure time can be a great way to improve your neuroplasticity. And then, of course, learning a new language. Learning a new language from a 2012 study shows that after five months of intensive language study, proficiency in the language studied had increased and so had the density of gray matter in the brain. The gray matter houses many important regions in the brain, such as language, attention, memory, emotion, and motor skills. Increased gray matter density improves function in these areas, especially as you age. It's believed that it offers protective benefits against cognitive decline. Learning a new language at any age of life can help slow down future decline-related age 
including symptoms of dementia. Another 2012 study found evidence to support the idea that picking up a new language increases gray matter density and neuroplasticity. After three months of intensive study of a new topic, 14 adult interpreters saw increases in gray matter density and hippocampal volume. The hippocampus plays an important role in long-term memory recall. And white matter. In 2017, a research article, learning a second language in adulthood can also strengthen white matter, which helps facilitate brain connectivity and communication between different brain regions. Studying a new language at any age can lead to stronger problem-solving and creative thinking skills, improved vocabulary, greater reading comprehension, and increased ability to multitask. You may have heard of online programs and apps like Rosetta Stone, Babbel, and Duolingo, Duolingo, <laughs> but you can study languages in other ways too. You can look for books. Um, you can join groups. The next suggestion to increase neuroplasticity is to make some music, create some new neuropathic lines in your brain by making music. Making music is said to have many brain benefits, such as improving your mood, your ability to learn and remember new information, and also concentration and focus. Music therapy appears to slow down cognitive decline in older adults. Research from 2017 suggests music, especially when combined with dance, art, gaming, and exercise, promotes neuroplasticity plasticity. It can improve movement and coordination and may help strengthen memory abilities, but it just doesn't prevent additional cognitive decline. It can also relieve emotional distress and improve the quality of your life. According to a 2015 review, music training also has benefits as neuroplasticity exercise. Learning to play music in childhood protects you against age-related cognitive decline, leads to improved cognitive performance. Musicians often have better audio and visual perception, greater focus and attention, better memory, and better motor coordination. Travel is another suggestion. Even if you're going if you, even if you're going to travel not far from home, maybe maybe you're in central California and you decide to go to Monterey for the weekend. Maybe you decide to go to Mendocino Mendocino Valley for the while, for a little while and see Glass Beach. Maybe you're going to drive over to Lake Tahoe and stay for the weekend and be in the forest. Who knows, but any kind of travel. And if you get on an airplane and travel to uh, different countries and different states, and you'll, you'll experience new scenery and surroundings. You'll learn about different cultures. You'll learn different communication tools. Um, and all of that is good for neuroplasticity. If you can't travel and you can't really take a trip closer to home, Take a long walk through a new neighborhood. Do your grocery shopping in a different side of town. Go for a hike somewhere where you've never hiked. Or do virtual travel. Go check out National Geographic virtual travel on YouTube. Something like that. Exercise, of course, makes for good neuroplasticity. Most people recognize exercise offers a number of physical benefits, right? You get better sleep. You have better fitness and health you get better muscle tone. 
Um, physical activity also strengthens your brain. Aerobic exercise in particular leads to improvements in cognitive abilities like learning and memory, and you definitely get a better night's sleep. A study from 2018 suggests exercise also helps improve fine motor coordination, brain connectivity, and may protect against cognitive decline. Making art. I love doing art therapy with people for this very reason. So creating art art helps you see the world in a new and unique way. You might use art to sort through and express emotions, share personal experiences, or get a deeper insight on personal struggles. Research from 2015 suggests that art forms such as drawing and painting directly benefit your brain by enhancing creativity and improving cognitive ability. Artistic pursuits can also help create new pathways and strengthen existing connections in your brain, leading to better cognitive function overall. If you feel like you're not artistic, it's okay. Artistic abilities improve with time and practice. YouTube has tons of painting tutorials, drawing tutorials. Go check it out. Give art a try. And then they suggest embracing unfocusing. Even simple doodling can offer brain benefits by activating the brain's default mode network, which allows your brain to briefly unfocus. This occasional mental downtime directly relates to neuroplasticity, letting your brain rest. And that's what mindfulness is. It's letting your brain take a break because you're just kind of focusing on what's in front of you. You're narrating just the facts. You're not judging. You're not worrying. You're not in despair or grief. You're just in the moment. And it is what it is. And you're not hyper-focused on anything. You're just kind of like in the moment with all five senses. So letting your brain rest will improve creativity, interrupt interrupt unwanted habits, help you find new solutions to problems. So doodling is a good one. And if, if you've listened to uh, other episodes on this podcast, there's that exercise with the pen and the paper. Um, that's a fantastic, unfocusing, mindful act. It's, it's wonderful. Um, I suggest... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Do check that one out. It's, it's on uh, one of the most recent mindfulness episodes. So that gives you a little information on neuroplasticity. Here's a little more. Neurons that fire together wire together. Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to form new neural connections. This rewiring effect can lead to positive growth and change. So this is scientifically proven, you guys. It's science. It's science. It's science. It's real. It's not just your therapist telling you how you should talk 
or that you should be a Pollyanna and be positive, peppy, peppy all the time. It's not just that. It's scientific. There is science behind this proving it. This is a, an article from Psych Central, okay? Negative bias is our tendency to be more attracted to negative stimuli than positive, right? That's the negative filter on the stupid thoughts worksheet, okay? You're more drawn to negative headlines. You're more uh, drawn to pointing out people's flaws. You're more drawn to minimizing the good in yourself and maximizing the bad things you've done. You're just drawn to that negative bias. You can move beyond that with reframing. You can change your focus from a negative filter to looking at what you can be grateful for and what is good in your environment right now. Look around. Are you driving? Are you sitting in your living room? Are you sitting on the toilet? Wherever you are right now, look around and pick out a couple things that bring you joy or that you can be grateful for. That's, that's the shift from negative filter to positive. Okay? And the more you do that, the more you fire out these neurons in your brain that start to dig a deeper groove and eventually that becomes your go-to thought process on autopilot. That's the point of reframing. That's the point of being kind. Um, and now, let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about the energetic field of your heart. This is incredibly fascinating, scientifically proven. Again, um, you remember watching the Care Bears, how when they wanted to fix something, they would get together and they would project those laser beams of love out of their chest into whatever they were trying to heal or fix or protect themselves from. That shit's real. That is real. We do that. We do that. So our heart has neurotransmitters in it just like your brain does. Our heart has an electromagnetic field that can project its energy up to a 10-foot radius around our bodies at any given time. So if you are having a hateful heart and a negative filter, you are projecting that energy. How many times have you been near somebody who you feel their energy, it's just negative and icky, and you just, you're not comfortable, you just want to get the hell out of there? That's because they're projecting their heart energy into the room. Their heart is angry, their heart is sad, their heart is broken, their heart is envious, whatever the case may be. And I just watched a documentary on Gaia Network. These, um, the top Buddhist, um, I don't know, you call them a priest or whatever, but the top Buddhist uh, people who everybody looks up to, when they die, it's kind of like the Pope, but for Buddhism. <laughs> uh, when they die... They are um, prepared for their their um, their funeral, and uh, you know how the Egyptians embalm people and stuff. Well, the Buddhists are a little different. They they put the body and 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 everything on top of this pyre, and they burn it. And at the end, their assistant digs through the ashes to find their heart crystal. Yes, a heart crystal. So I was talking earlier about the water crystal formations, right? The heart forms a crystal too. When a heart is pure and loving and mindful, 
and you're practicing all the time to just be happy and grateful. Your heart forms this tiny little crystal. So um, the assistants will dig out the tiny little crystal. They'll put it in a sacred box. And that will be like the little memorial altar that they create for that um, high Buddhist priest who has passed. And that totally blew my mind. Because I knew about the water crystals thing, but I had no idea. Our heart created a beautiful little crystal like that in it. That's amazing. So when, when you are grateful and you're reframing those negative thoughts, your heart is projecting that electromagnetic field around you. You might find that your plants grow beautifully and people say, geez, you have such a green thumb. Or you might find that people feel comfortable around you and they feel like they can talk to you about anything. You're projecting that love out there. You're projecting that positivity. And there may be other times when you're just not switched on and you're grumpy and you're thinking about past things that upset you or people that you don't like or, you know, you're having anxious thoughts ruminating in your head and people who are around you tend to not feel as connected to you. You feel more isolated in a room full of people. Um, They sense that energy and they block you. That's just how it goes. So let's jump right into from that fascinating information. I thought it was fascinating anyway. So let's jump from that into what is what is the physics of the law of attraction? The law of attraction and where am I retrieving this from? I got to make sure I give credit. Cominspired.com. Uh, the law of attraction physics is based on quantum physics. Though it may seem like a metaphysical concept, it is a very real fact. Again, y'all, science. What we think about, believe in, and focus on is what manifests in our lives. This is not some sort of theory. You can manifest anything. And I'm telling you, this is in the Bible. This is in the Bible. One of our oldest books in history, the Bible, talks about this too. It doesn't call it the law of attraction in the Bible, though, but it does talk about it. The simplest way to understand the law of attraction is to understand the difference between energy and matter. The greatest discovery of our generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes of mind, reframing your thoughts. As you think, so shall you be. The law of attraction operates on the principle of like attracts like. According to this principle, everything in the universe is made up of equal masses, such as particles, molecules, and stars. Therefore, everything is composed of mass, atoms. Atoms which are made up of protons and electrons are like particles of matter. Moreover, that attracts the like. The like attracts the like. Sorry, I'm tongue-tied this morning. This concept is supported by quantum physics, chaos theory, and interferometry. I hope I said that correctly. Using quantum physics to prove the power of positive thinking, the law of attraction enables us to achieve anything we desire by focusing on positive thoughts. It is based on the fact that the subconscious creates reality and a positive attitude enables our subconscious to manifest our desires. 
The more positive we think, the more our dreams and goals will manifest. So in essence, our thoughts and our emotions determine what we see. The most challenging aspect of the law of attraction is the fact that it is difficult to manifest something when we are thinking the same thing about it. We are in a very different state of mind than the problem we are trying to solve. That is why it is important to change your mental frame, reframe your thoughts, before you can attract anything into your life. You should try to focus on positive thoughts and affirmations and change your negative thoughts. The law of attraction is based on four fundamental forces of the universe. Space and time are influenced by these two forces. They create patterns of order that form over time. These four forces are also responsible for determining what happens in our lives. This is why they have a powerful influence on our behavior and our emotions. The more positive thoughts we have, the more the law of attraction will manifest. Regardless of whether you believe in the law of attraction or not, it works. It's real. It works no matter what you believe. And because it works, it will work for you. The same applies for wealth. It's a simple matter of being happy and positive. If you want to manifest a dream, make it your reality. If you want a good relationship, you should be motivated to make it happen. If you believe in the law of attraction, you must be aware of your thoughts. This means that you need to be aware of your energy and your thoughts. The physics of the law of attraction can be broken down into seven mini laws that you need to be mindful of your thoughts and feelings. Ultimately, it's your intention and your thoughts and actions. If you are not happy, you will not feel happy. So it's it's the affirmations, yes, you want to say in the present tense, I am a lovable person, but you don't want to just say the words. You want to close your eyes and you want to feel the words. What does it feel like to be a lovable person? How does it feel to have others see you as a lovable person? You have to feel it. And there we go with projecting out that energy from your heart. Okay. So that's how the law of attraction works. Where is the proof that mindfulness and meditation works? Let's look. Let's take a look. We're on scientificamerican.com. Mindfulness involves focusing on your present situation and your state of mind with all of your senses. This can mean awareness of your surroundings, emotions, breathing, more simply enjoying each bite of a really good sandwich. Who doesn't love a good sandwich, right? Turning in, tuning into the world around you may provide a sense of well-being, an array of studies claim. Multiple reports link mindfulness with improved cognitive functioning. One study even suggests it may preserve the tips of our chromosomes that wither away as we age. Yet many psychologists, neuroscientists, and meditation experts are afraid the hype is outspacing the science. In an article released in Perspectives on Psychological Science, 15 prominent psychologists and cognitive scientists caution that despite its popularity and supposed benefits, scientific data on mindfulness are woefully lacking. Many of the studies on mindfulness and meditation, the authors wrote, are poorly designed, compromised, 
by in, inconsistent definitions of what mindfulness actually is and often avoid of a control group to rule out the placebo effect. So the new paper cites a 2015 review published by American psychologists reporting that only around 9% of research into mindfulness-based interventions has been tested in clinical trials that include a control group. The author also points to multiple large placebo-controlled meta-analysis concluding that mindfulness practices have often produced unimpressive results. A 2014 review of 47 meditation trials collectively including over 3,500 participants found essentially no evidence for benefits relating to enhancing attention, curtailing substance abuse, aiding sleep, or controlling weight. But Van Dam acknowledges that some good evidence does support mindfulness. This 2014 analysis found that meditation and mindfulness may provide modest benefits in anxiety, depression, and pain. He also cites a 2013 review published in Clinical Psychology Review for mindfulness-based therapy that found similar results. The intention and the scope of this review is welcome. It is looking to introduce rigor and balance into this emerging new field. Two trials published in Science Advances support mindfulness practice. The first found mindfulness-like attention training reduces self-perceived stress, but not levels of the hormone cortisol, commonly used biological gauge of stress. The other trial links mindfulness-like attention training to increase the thickness of the prefrontal cortex, a brain region associated with complex behavior, decision-making, and shaping your personality. The authors called for further research into what these findings could mean clinically. Mindfulness is rooted in Buddhist thought and theory. In the West, it was popularized in the 70s by University of Massachusetts by John Kabat-Zinn, a cognitive scientist who founded the university's stress reduction clinic and center for mindfulness medicine. He developed what he called mindfulness-based stress reduction. Now, that's, that's a lot of what I teach. And people people, clients, friends, people who are actually practicing mindfulness. I practice mindfulness, and I can tell you I feel 100% better. It's like there's a cool breeze swirling on top of my head, like, ah, I feel good. And the clients that practice it have noticed some positive results and some good progress. So there are the naysayers, but then there are several clinical studies that show a huge improvement by practicing mindfulness. Um, Deepak Chopra, I think I said his name correctly. I, I'm pretty sure you know who that is. Um, he he went on a documentary, and they did a scan of his brain prior to meditation, and then they did a scan of his brain during meditation, and then they did a scan of his brain after meditation. And the results were right there on the screen. Phenomenal. There were areas of his brain when he was consciously interacting with everybody that were lit up. And there were areas that were not lit up while he was interacting. So while he's interacting and animated, the areas of the brain that that control speech and movement and all those things, personality, all that stuff, eyes, all those things, it was all fired up. But when he went into meditation mode, 
a lot of the stuff that was fired up when he was consciously paying attention to his environment, a lot of that didn't light up. And then there were areas of the brain that were not lit up before that were very bright. And some of those areas of the brain are areas that scientists aren't sure what they're for yet. So that was fascinating. And then after the meditation, his brain showed a very balanced, healthy function of neurons firing, um, showing that when we're interacting with somebody, and they showed the brain of a stressed out person too, somebody who had major anxiety, they were totally stressed out, um, prone to panic attacks on a daily basis, and that brain was firing off with all kinds of stress. Um, So they showed the difference between the brains. Very interesting content. Um, And then let's think about the power of words. I know this is a super long episode. I just really wanted to give you guys this information because I'm telling you to reframe, but I don't think I, I explain it well enough. And I think this really, this, all of this information I pulled up this morning, I was watching the sunrise and I was like, man, I really need to, I, I really need to explain the science behind it because I think sometimes people think, oh yeah, reframe your thoughts, be more positive, whatever. But you don't understand how your body, your spirit, your environment, everything around you can change and just light up for you when you reframe your thoughts. And it's all backed by science. So what kind of power do your words have? Our words, often so recklessly spoken, carry more weight than most of us can imagine. In fact, hardly a week goes by in which you and I don't read or hear about some celebrity, elected official, admired athlete whose words have gotten them into hot water. But the matter goes far deeper than being politically correct, which I'm not a fan of political correctness. I think it's bullshit. So if that offends you, okay. (laughs) Um, The power of words is fundamental to life and can be instrumental in causing things to die. That sentence alone from jackhayford.org. This is a teaching article. That sentence smacked me in the face this morning. The power of words is fundamental to life and can be instrumental in causing things to die. Okay, so let's, let's jump back to political correctness, okay? So... Back when I was a kid, a little kid, I had a half-brother who was mentally retarded, and that was the term. They, I, I heard it a million times. People would say, oh, is that your brother? Yeah. Is he retarded? Yeah, he's retarded. And that was the word, and it was not offensive. It was a medical term. And if you looked up that medical term, it meant slow. So... That was the word forever. And then, oh, when I got a little older, adolescent age, I suppose, uh, they changed it to special. They said retarded was mean. It was a mean word. So now they have to call them special. So he came home from school saying, I'm not retarded, I'm special. 
And all of a sudden, they turned retarded into a dirty word. So back in the day, if, if somebody was mentally retarded, medical term, and they would tell you, I am mentally retarded. I have a condition. I am mentally retarded. I'm retarded. Um, and it, it just simply meant that their brains were different than ours. They weren't as developed as ours, or they were slow or lacking in you know, certain cognitive function, right? Fast forward to today. If, if you tell somebody with a, now it's called developmental delay, if you tell somebody with that condition, you're retarded, everybody's hair stands on end, everybody clutches their pearls and screams, oh my God, it's so negative. So now it's it's been turned into a hateful negative word in which if you say it to somebody, it hurts them, right? Whereas back in the day, it was a medical term, much like diabetes or cancer or epilepsy. Um, nobody felt any judgment either way of hearing the word, they would say, oh, okay, that explains it, you know. Um, And today we have several words. People have trigger words. Um, You call somebody crazy. Maybe they hate being called crazy due to something in their past, and they will show you crazy. Um, Certain women don't like the word cunt. It's an ugly word. Uh, you know, but in England, it's thrown around like, hey, buddy, hey, cunt, <laughs> how are you? Don't be such a little cunt. And everybody says the word cunt a million times a day in, in the UK. Um, and it's not as offensive there as it would be here. So depending on where you live and where your cult, what your culture is and what kind of cultures are around you, words can be really powerful. They can pull up emotions and feelings in others and in yourself. So words cast spells, words throw curses, words cause growth, words cause death. So be careful with your words. Reframe, reframe, reframe. The power of words comes into play during times when we define our reality. The words we use in our minds repeatedly to describe ourselves and our identity are some of the most powerful forces in our lives. Are you the biggest bully to yourself that you've ever met? Or are you a kind, nurturing, loving person to yourself? That's it. That's reframing. Why be kind? Why reframe? Because it's good for you and it's scientifically proven. (laughs) And I'm going to leave it on that. Um, I hope this was educational for you and I hope it convinces you to start reframing, to start changing your life because you deserve it. You are a beautiful soul and you don't deserve to bully yourself anymore. You don't deserve to be bullied by yourself anymore, I should say. You don't deserve all the negativity. And you don't deserve to be the obstacle that is holding you back. You deserve to be flying high like a beautiful eagle, as Robert Zink says. You deserve all the love, all the respect, all the success in the world. 
You don't deserve to be in a self-inflicted prison anymore. So check out reframing. Check out mindfulness. Work on your law of attraction. And be that care bear that shines love, kindness, forgiveness, and support and nurturing into this universe. Until next time, Care Bears, love and light.